0: Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Today we are in Genesis chapter 39. We'll pick up in the middle of verse 20 of Genesis chapter 39. But as we consider this next uh, event in Joseph's life, I want us to to be mindful of something that I kind of reminded us to be mindful of with Judah and Tamar in chapter 38. We have a tendency to read through these events in Joseph's life and we think, okay, on day one, uh, Joseph went to Potiphar's house, and the next month he went to prison, and then the next month he went to um, uh, to the throne room of Pharaoh. It's important for us to realize that the, that what we are going to read today combined with what we read last week actually took place over probably 11 to 13 years. More than likely closer to the 13 year mark. And, and I want us to remember that it, it, that this is something that takes place over a long period of time, not just over a few weeks or a few months. And so as we read this, this portion of God's Word to us in Genesis 39 and 40, um, let us be mindful of what God has to teach us. So beginning in Genesis 39, the second half of verse 20. offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me. And on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, just as you used to do when you were were his cupbearer. But but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the baskets on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hands. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Let us pray. Our gracious and holy God. We thank You for Your Word. Paul reminds us in Romans 1 that everything we know to be without excuse before You is readily available in nature. Your power, Your majesty, Your wrath against sin. And yet for salvation, we need a specific or a special revelation from You. And that is what we study today. Lord, help us to take this study seriously. Help us to take this study and and make it part of us. And by Your Word, speak to us and change us so that we might be a people who glorifies and honors You in all of our life. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. In the medical world of labor and delivery, there is a strange-sounding occupation called a, a doula. Now the title of this occupation, doula, D-O-U-L-A, is loosely based on the Greek word doulos, which is Greek for servant or slave. The doula serves as a servant to a woman as as she labors, but she's a servant with a very definite purpose. The doula helps a mother make it through labor without any type of pain medication. When, when we were expecting Gregory, we, we did the, the normal thing. We signed up for the Lamaze class and the Lamaze instructor began the class by teaching us all these different breathing exercises. And she said, now these are important for a very short period of time. These are important to get you from the time of labor that labor begins until you can get to the hospital and you can get your epidural. And then you can just throw all these exercises out the window because you don't need them anymore the doula took those breathing exercises and drills and she drills them into the head of the mother and father so that they become an opportunity for them to work together to help the mother um, focus on something other than the pain of childbirth. But one of the most important things that a doula does, not only reminding the parents and the mother especially that she can survive this, but to remind her of the prize that awaits on the other side. Not only can you survive this, but it's worth it because you're going to have a baby at the end. The pain and travail of child birth is replaced with the exponentially greater joy of having the child. Today, we're going to look at a time of travail, a time of struggle in Joseph's life. And we're going to see that God was there with him. And reminded him of the glory that awaits. First off, let's just consider the story. This account begins at the same with almost the same statement that the previous account began. If we look to the beginning of chapter 39 and to chapter 21, or verse 21 of this verse, we will see that Moses declares to us that the Lord was with Joseph. And not only was the Lord with Joseph. The Lord showed His favor to Joseph in such a way that he became a prominent person there within the prison. Remember with Potiphar's house, uh, he was successful and Potiphar put him over everything except for his most personal of daily activities. And the same thing happens here. We see God's hand with Joseph in the fact that there is a very strong possibility with Potiphar being the captain of Pharaoh's guard, the captain of Pharaoh's prisons, that Joseph was somewhere on Potiphar's property, that he was still answering directly to Potiphar, even though he was in prison. Joseph has a very positive history with Potiphar, if this is the case, and it transfers not only through Potiphar's house, but also through the prison that Joseph was in. Joseph ends up running the prison, and in fact, he is put in charge of two very prominent and important people in Pharaoh's court. Now the chief baker and the chief cupbearer end up in prison. Now the cupbearer was responsible in Pharaoh's court for making sure that the wine and the food that Pharaoh received was free of any poisons or any attempts upon Pharaoh's life. So the chief cupbearer was a very trusted position. He didn't just give that job to anybody. It was somebody who had a very close personal, and trusting relationship with Pharaoh. Somebody that Pharaoh could trust with with the intimate details of his food. And oftentimes in the ancient Near East, the cupbearer became a very close confidant of the king or of the Pharaoh. Think to the book of Nehemiah. The king in Nehemiah knew Nehemiah well enough. Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. And the king knew him well enough that when Nehemiah walked into his presence, presence, sad and dejected, because Nehemiah had heard that the city of Jerusalem was still in ruins, the king knew Nehemiah well enough to say, you look sad today. Why is that? That's how close the relationship between the cupbearer and the king was oftentimes. It was a very trusted relationship The chief chief baker would have been very much in a similar position in that he was in charge as well of the food and the delicacies that came before the pharaoh or the king. If you're the king, you're the ruler, you always oftentimes have people that are trying to take the throne from you and oftentimes they will do it in very devious ways that may involve uh, poisoning the food that you eat. So the Pharaoh must trust his chief baker and his chief cupbearer implicitly. In fact, many commentators feel, and we can't know for sure, but many commentators feel that that quite possibly these two men had shown up in prison because there was an attempt on the king's life. And the details were fuzzy as to who was responsible. One of these two men were responsible for that. But for whatever purpose or whatever reason they were being held in prison while Pharaoh determined their fate, they came under the care of Joseph. Joseph is acting as warden of the prison and and he is responsible for these two men. And one night, both men have a dream. They have separate but similar dreams. And both of these dreams have meanings, but they could not understand the meaning. During this time period, uh, many people believe that the gods spoke to people through dreams. We've seen it happen in Joseph's life already where he had these two dreams where his family bowed down and gave him worship and honor. We're going to see it again as God talks to Pharaoh in two dreams later on in the next chapter. And and in reality, during this time period in, in God dealing with his people, he did speak to them in dreams. He did reveal Himself to them in visions. But we have a better revelation from God. In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, we hear the author say this, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And and that various ways could include dreams and visions. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purifications for sin, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty in heaven. We oftentimes ask, does God still speak in dreams? I would say no. God has spoken to us through His Son. We have the Word of God written down for us that has been transferred to us through the generations, through the years. God does not need to reveal any more to us than what He has revealed in Scripture. And so oftentimes, uh, we get confused by dreams and visions when we should really be looking to the Scriptures to see what God is saying to us. Well, these two dreams—these dreams—troubled these two men, and Joseph was aware enough of them to notice the trouble on their faces, and he asks, acts to help them. He reminds them that God is in charge of the interpretation of dreams, and asks for them to tell him the dream. Now, the cupbearer comes to him and and says, "Well, I dreamed about a vine, and then flowers came on the vine, and then after flowers." Uh, immature grapes and then after immature grapes came mature grapes and I took the grapes and I squeezed them into a cup and I carried that cup which had turned into wine in to the king which was pretty much exactly what the chief cupbearer did every day anyway he took a cup of wine into the king and so Joseph looks at that and said God has told me that the three branches represent three days in three days Pharaoh is going to lift up your head, which is kind of a a code word for restoring you. Pharaoh is going to restore you, and he is going to place you right back in the position that you had taken, that you had before you showed up here in prison. The chief baker hears the good news. Notice he is second in line. He hears that the chief cupbearer got a favorable interpretation, is what it says to us there and he says give me the good news too here's my dream he sees three baskets on his head full of all types of baked goods there were over we have a record from this period in Egyptian history there were over uh, over 50 different ways and types of baked goods that he would have been responsible for he has three baskets on top of his head full of baked goods and the birds are eating the baked goods now if you were a baker and you had three baskets of baked goods that you had eaten, and birds were eating it, what would you have done? Shoo, shoo, go away, go away. There's no hint in his dream that he was doing anything to protect the goods that were in the basket. And so Joseph takes the dream and he says, I know you're expecting good news, but I'm going to give you truth. The three baskets are three days. And your head will also be lifted up, but it will be lifted up to the top of a tall spike, and you will be impaled or hung upon the spike. Two things out of the interpretation of dreams. Number one, do we know people around us well enough to notice when they're sad? Do we know people well enough around us to notice when they are dejected? When they're struggling with something. You know, we carry our emotions, we carry our difficulties on our face. Some of us are fortunate enough to be able to to hide those things with facial hair. But still, if you're paying close enough attention, you'll notice when we struggle. Do you notice that in your family and your friends? And do you care enough to ask about those things? And the second thing out of the interpretation of the dreams is, even though sometimes when our family and friends struggle, they want to hear good news. But we know the news that helps them is not always good. Are we willing to give them truth instead of just giving them platitudes that make them feel good? So, three days later, Joseph calls Pharaoh and the two officials out of prison. And just as Joseph said, he has the baker executed and the cupbearer is restored. And in the midst of all these interpretations, Joseph says, Look, he says to the cupbearer, he says, Look, you're going to be restored. You're going to be placed back in Pharaoh's presence. I was unjustly kidnapped. I was unjustly sold. And I was unjustly placed in this prison. And the injustice of Joseph's situation should have resonated with the cupbearer because apparently he was in prison unjustly also since he was restored to his position. And so Joseph sees an opportunity for things to be made right. For him to have his case heard by Pharaoh and maybe be given an opportunity to be set free. And so he hangs his hope on the kindness and the memory of the cupbearer. But how does the chapter end? And the cupbearer forgot Joseph. Now there's some providence there because if Joseph gets out of prison two years early, then he's not there and available for Pharaoh later on. When Pharaoh needs him, but still at the same time, I'm sure for Joseph, it was painful to be forgotten when you'd given somebody such good news that came true. And so what I want us to see is what this chapter begins with is the idea that the Lord was with Joseph. God's presence in this particular passage is described in covenantal language. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness. That word kindness in the original language shows up in other places within the Scripture as God's faithfulness or God's steadfast love. In fact, if you read um, Psalm 136, uh, the psalmist gives one line of what God has done for His people. And then he says, The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. He does that over 30 times throughout that particular psalm. That word right there, steadfast love, is the word that's translated kindness right here. It's a word that when used of God doing an action toward humans is done because God has gone into covenant with that person. It's an expression. It's a... It's a declaration that God is faithful to his covenant toward his people. Moses declares here that in the life of Joseph God had covenanted with Abraham, covenanted with Isaac, covenanted with Jacob, and because Jacob was a descendant of those three, uh, Joseph was a descendant of those three men, God's covenant was was in effect for him as well and the kindness that God showed to Joseph, over 13 years of being a slave and a prisoner was based upon the covenant that God had made. We are part of this covenant as well. God, Paul talks, God through Paul talks in the book of Galatians as to how we are the spiritual descendants of Abraham because of the work that Jesus has done upon our behalf. And so when we struggle when we are in difficulty as the children of God, we have this promise that God is covenantally faithful and with us through it all. God's presence has very real consequences for Joseph. First, it prepares him for his future situation. Warren Weersby wrote, God prepares us for what He is preparing for us if we will but yield to him God has called each of us to some work on his behalf and he is preparing us for that work oftentimes like Joseph that preparing is painful it is a struggle it is a trial but it it is a preparation for whatever he is going to have us do in the future now Most of us are not going to be elevated to the second most powerful person in the country. But you're a pretty powerful person in some of the circles you run in. In your families, in your friendships, in your acquaintances. What is God through your struggles, through your sufferings, through those long, difficult times of life where it just seems like everything is weighed against you? God is preparing you for something. Joseph took the industry and integrity that he had and God allowed him to use that to run a household and then a prison and then ultimately a country. And that immaturity that he showed in the early chapters of his life, God worked that out of him as well. Secondly, God's presence with Joseph allows him to survive through the difficulty Apparently, we learn in this chapter that that Joseph has not forgotten God. The baker, the cupbearer, are sad and dejected because they had dreams and they don't know what they mean. What does he say? What does Joseph say? God gives interpretations to dreams. Tell me what your dreams are and God will interpret them through me. See, he remembered That God is there with Him in the midst of that difficulty. What what is our tendency when life is tough? When we're suffering the injustices of our friends or our co-workers or our employers? Who is typically the last person on our mind? It's God. But He should be the first. Because as His children, He is with us. When he was presented with the distress of the baker and the cupbearer, he remembered that God was there with him. Remembering that God was with us will oftentimes sustain us through the difficulties and trials of this life. But God with us also reminds Joseph that the end is in sight. Remember the two dreams that Joseph was living under. He was living under those dreams where his brother's agricultural produce had bowed down to his. And where the sun, moon, and stars had bowed down to him. And Jacob said, are are you telling me that your entire family will bow to you? Joseph had the promise of some type of freedom and glory that would come from God. And the knowledge that God was with him reminded him that God would bring that to fruition. And next week, we'll look at the freedom and the glory that Joseph gets from God because God was with him through this 13-year haul. This 13-year difficulty. You know, I recently went through, through some stuff in my own life that exposed some sin in my life that has been very difficult to deal with. About a year ago, And I want this year to be over in many respects. i got 12 more to go, apparently. I mean, it probably won't work out that way. God may not give me 13 years of struggling with this particular issue. But at the same time, I've had it easy for a year in struggling with this. It's it's nothing serious. Everything's good. I'm fine. But at the same time, Don't we often give up on struggle? Don't we often give up on God way too early? Don't we often say, "All right, God, I've been dealing with this for about 30 minutes now. You haven't done anything about it, I'm going to handle it myself. I say that kind of tongue in cheek because that's really how we act often times. No matter how long these struggles last, God is with us. No matter how long these difficulties last, God is with us and God shows us the same covenant love, the same faithfulness, the same kindness that he showed to Joseph, that he showed to Moses 40 years wandering around in the desert with a bunch of people who wanted nothing more than to go back to where they came from. And then that infinite moment of time on the cross. Where Jesus was abandoned so that we might know that God will never leave us or forsake us. There is a sense in which it was God's presence with Joseph that kept for him the glorious end in sight. And the difficulty and the travail that he was going to, going through, was a mere... Temporary thing to get to the glory that awaited Him. When we struggle, when we suffer, do we remember that God is with us? I know I have a tendency to forget, and and if I forget, I I would assume that you do as well. Life's hard. And we've seen that a lot through the last several chapters. Uh, it, It almost seems to be a recurring theme throughout Uh, the last ten chapters or so. You know why? Because it's a recurring theme in our life. But we are called, even in the midst of those difficulties, to focus on the God who is with us. The same God that was with Joseph is with us. And He shows kindness to us. We look at the glorious psalm 23 oftentimes and we lose the power of it we are so familiar with psalm 23 yeah i know what quiet waters mean i know what green pastures mean i even know what the dark valleys mean we are so familiar with psalm 23 if you've grown up in the church at all we have a tendency to be so familiar that we miss "Yea, though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil For Thou art with Me. That's the key right there, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. For Thou art with Me. Paul says he found joy in his suffering. He did not rejoice because life was difficult, but there was joy in the midst of suffering. Why? For Thou art with Me. And because Thou art with Me now, I will be with you forever. That is the promise that we have here, brothers and sisters. That is the glory. That is the glorious news that awaits us on the other side of our travail, on the other side of our difficulty. Paul even describes the Christian life. Paul even describes the world awaiting Christ's return as a woman laboring, waiting in anxious anticipation for the redemption, much like a woman waits in anxious anticipation for that baby to be born and as we struggle in the labors of this world let us remember god is with us let us pray our gracious god and holy father what glorious news how wonderful it is to know that the covenant kindness the steadfast love your faithfulness endures forever And as your children, when life gets difficult, we know that the glory that awaits us is ours because you are with us. Remind us of that glorious truth that thou art with me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.